This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the Holy City of Jerusalem at Asia Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. Things right on my head. Uh, last uh, two weeks ago, we had a parsha that was about the flood, and we know Noah built the ark, and he, and his warning people about the flood coming was on a need-to-know basis. Meaning, if people hassled him, saying, "Why are you building a giant boat in the middle of dry land?" So he would say, "You know, there's a flood coming," and then he'd go back to work. Whereas Avraham Avinu was known for his uh, moving around and talking to people and sp- sharing the sharing the wealth of uh, spirituality with the world. You know, Abraham was not the first monotheist, even though he's, he's kind of known as the first monotheist. There were many monotheists. Noah, ten generations before him, was a monotheist. The uh, uh, Hanukh was a monotheist. Adam was a monotheist. The first man was a monotheist. So Abraham's not the first monotheist. What he was was the first monotheist that that went to, like, assert it in a in a unwelcoming world. People in general don't really like God very much. God's not very popular. Because when you have God, you have conscience. And conscience means that if you do whatever you feel like doing as opposed to what's right to do, you start to feel guilty about that. Now you're not happy. And human beings love being happy. We love being happy. That's why, I mean, now that we all know there's like things that are right and wrong, if you want to be happy, just do the right things. You know, that's, that's like so simple, right? Not so simple. So it should be simple, because if you're really out to be happy, just do the right things over and over again. If it's a little hard for you, usually because of bad influences, so put yourself around people who are good influences and live amongst good influence people. Either way, Abraham spent his life out there with people, and he was persecuted for it. People didn't like it. Because generally, spiritual people keep to themselves. Part of spirituality, you know, if you look at Gentile spirituality, generally the most spiritual person is in some kind of monastery, some kind of monastic situation where where they're out of touch with the world. They're not involved in commerce. They're not involved in the physical world. Whereas in Judaism, the... The, or with Abraham, it was to go out to the world. It was to go be in people's faces. And they didn't like it very much. They didn't like having him around because in those days, spiritual people lived in ashrams. They lived in secluded places. They kept to themselves. They were not involved in the, in the world. Now, we, we have a, an image of, uh, of a holy person a holy person, let's see if this thing works well. A holy person is called a tzaddik in Hebrew. So that's the holy person. Okay? The, the letter says tzaddik. That's the holy person. And they, and if I make it into like someone doing yoga here. Okay? So, so what you see is they're, they're like, they're firmly planted on the baseline. I mean, they're totally in this world. Oh, sorry, I left this out. Um, the top of letters is spiritual and the bottom of letters is physical. Okay? Spiritual, physical. So like a yud is purely spiritual. A vav is just a yud. I Meaning a yud is just like an idea. An idea that was not implemented. It's just a pure idea. It doesn't 
doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. Whereas a vav is just a yud that's been implemented. It's, it's been brought to fruition. Like, I'm a yud personality. I'm, like, full of ideas all the time. Oh, I, did I mention that it's personalities, too? So I'm a yud personality. And, but for the last, I don't even know how long, I've always had a vav personality working for me. Always have vav people. I've never been able to truly afford hay people. Hay people are, the first hay at least, are, are business consultant types, meaning, meaning they take your yud. There's still no vav. They just take the yud and they can see all its dimensions and help you kind of do all the research and the marketing and everything that would take place. What's up, Yitzi? Grab one of those fancy chairs, bring it in. So they, yeah, for yourself. So they, um, this is Hasidic day in my class. It's like, if you're Hasidic, come in. If you're not Hasidic, come in. Sorry, but I, I don't think I've had this many people drop into class in the middle of class as today. So it's been lots of fun. And it's a drop-in course anyway, so anyone who came late is fulfilling the course's uh, title. Now, the... Um, bye, nice to meet you, Miss Mexico. It's fine, it's fine. We're so happy. It's a drop-in course, drop-out course. We've got two extra seats, too. So. That guy is doing, what was his name, Rabbi Schuster? He's doing Rabbi Schuster's job, who's part of my class, actually, on, on sharing. So Rabbi Schuster used to comb the Kotel for Jews. And he, he would ask you if you're Jewish, if he saw you down there. And, and, and he was kind of imposing and scary, so you almost wanted to say no. But when you're at the Western Wall, you're going to lie. But if you were Jewish, he would then handcuff himself to you and drag you to his, his dormitory-style hostel, hostel, and then you would, you would learn Torah for the rest of your life. So that guy's doing it. He's doing it. And I, What's his name? That guy? Yeah. <laughs> Fred. I don't know. I don't know. So I can't remember his name, but he's a nice guy. And thank God someone's doing it. Yeah, it's got to be done. Now... Um, Rabbi Weber in the back how many years did you do it I, I mean I might be upsetting him because he's not doing it now and he should be doing it 14 years you did it that's amazing you're present for this discussion he comes to my Thursday class because we feed a family every Shabbos this class and he's, he brings it to the family which is very nice thank you for doing that by the way it's a big mitzvah so Anyway, the um, Hebrew letters. Hebrew letters. Yeah. So the top of the letter is the spiritual. The top is the spiritual. Is the spiritual, and the bottom is the physical. And so every letter is really a pictorial. So a yud, for example, a yud is a purely spiritual letter. That's like an idea, and then the vav. Is I'm putting a, a space for the next space because because you're not allowed to erase God's name. The vav is just the implementation of that. Okay, and the I had mentioned a hay being dimensional. So so whatever I use, I have close students who are more business consultant types helping with stuff. But a vav's you can't go without a vav. I just want to say one thing um, that every person's either more structure or more flow. 
in their personality. I'll show you. It'll be half the class. Who's more flow in personality and who's more structure in personality? So who are the flowy types? Raise your hand, flowies. Okay, and raise your hand, structures. Okay, it's right in the middle. And uh, always works that way. And, the, and generally, the youth personalities are more of the flow types. And that's why it's called Chachma. Chachma's on the right. It's, on the, it's a right brain thing. And the hey is Bina. That's the left brain thing. So hey people are, are more like that. Now, Vav personalities are extremely implementation-oriented people. They like get, get things on the ground, like get it done. Yud people, like, we have, like, a panic attack just when we see, like, how much needs to be cleaned up in the kitchen, you know, because we're just, like, the idea of cleaning it is, is beyond, you know. Whereas Vub personality is just, just get your body moving, and eventually the kitchen will be clean. You know, you just got to get going. Anyway, uh, oh, what I wanted to say is that, uh, that the Yud personality, the flowy types, sadly, never get their... Many of them never get their contribution in the world. And we really need them. We need that creativity, but it never hits the world. The reason it never hits the world is because they're no good at implementation. And they always think they can't afford to hire somebody to implement for them. So I just want to share with you, just to make sure you realize this, so you don't wind up like Van Gogh, who sold his first painting the last year of his life. You don't wind up like him. The, um, what I want to share with you and promise you is that you can actually hire a young whippersnapper who's a good vav personality. You can hire them right out of university. Or in Israel, you can hire them at any, any point, meaning they could have been working in, for major money in the past. And you can actually hire them for pennies here because all they want to do is learn Torah. And so, but they need to make a living. So, so, they're, so they give up everything. They come to Israel. They're learning Torah. And you can actually hire a vav who's got tons of experience in you know in systems operations these types of things and hire them and they'll, you can pay them like two grand a month and they will do a great job for you now some of you are thinking well, where am i going to get two grand a month two thousand dollars a month where am i going to get that and the answer is the bank every bank you don't even need collateral you just go any bank will give you six months of unsecured money you know how much is six times two is twelve thousand dollars any bank will just hand it to you $12,000. They're happy to make some money off that. Anyway, so here's my promise that if you hire a Vov for $2,000 a month and you, um, that not only at the end of six months will you have paid back the loan off the money you made, this other family will have eaten off your, uh, because of you, they're eating, and your family's going to make, more, you're going to make more money in those six months, and especially in the ensuing year, than you ever made. Ever, by a long shot. So, in other words, the bank got their money back, the Vub got his 2000 bucks a month, and you finally are on the map with your ideas. So, you and personalities have to hire Vubs even if they can't afford them. And it, it's crazy not to. I learned this trick many, many years ago, and I've now had a Vub for like 15 years. No matter what happens in my life, there's always a Vub there. And, and that's, that's, I mean, it's made all the difference in having this highly open-minded flowy, creative brain of mine. It's made all the difference. And the reason anyone's even ever heard of me anywhere in the world isn't because of me. It's because of my, the Vubs. All the Vubs that have helped me in my life. Yeah. What? What do you advertise to get them? To get a Vub? Yeah. In your life? Yeah, yeah, just, word of, just word of mouth. You just put the word out and look at her. pair up in this class. 
Yeah, right, right. Okay, all the hey, all the yuds, raise your hand again, the flowies. Yes. Oh, no, all of a sudden people are like, I don't want to get paired up. Yeah. Okay, all the vubs, raise your hand. Who wants two grand a month? Two grand a month? Two grand a month? No one raises their hand. That's why, I guess. Now, when we look at the tzaddik, when we look at this, what's that? They are, they're like six or seven vubs raising hands. So, that's, yeah, they are. The, the, were you here when I asked? You were here when I asked. So the, anyway, the tzaddik has, look at how baseline he is. You know what that is? That is, that is in the world, in the world. And the way we're in the world, just like Avraham Avinu was in the world, that we're meant to get out there and make a difference. Unlike Noah who did not make that difference, Avraham did make the difference. And in fact, in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayera, we see Avraham Avinu's in full meditation having prophecy. Like, like you know what it takes to get prophecy? <laughs> That's not a normal... Like, prophecy doesn't come just because you've been, like, hanging at a, you know, Shlomo Karlbach's yurt site in, fo- in, in Harmanuchos, you know. You're not getting prophecy out there. You may think you're getting prophecy. But anyway, prophecy just isn't, like, easy to get. So here he is in full prophecy when three, you know, I mean, if, if, if they're not Abraham, they're Gentiles. So when three Gentiles walk up, you know, idolaters, clearly, pagan people, walk up. And Abraham, like, puts God on hold, so to speak. There are those who hold that, no, it's a higher level, and it is a higher level. To, he get up and serve them. Go up, get up and serve them. And he goes up to serve them. And he's, like, sparing nothing. Abraham's like a rich guy. And uh, and I read actually uh, someone taught me a little piece of Torah from Karlibach today that um, that he he was so rich that he killed three ox for his three guests and he served them tongue, which to me is a little gross, but he served them tongue with mustard, mustard sauce, and and but then when he offered them water. He offered them just a little water. It says, Yukach me'at ma'im. Take a little water and wash your feet. Why a little? Because, because water is nimshol to Torah. Water is analogous to Torah. And it doesn't take a lot of Torah. Just a little Torah. little Torah. And, and it's very interesting him saying that because, because what he went on to say was that if you believe this world's stronger, then you're like Noah. Noah looked at the world and he was like, whoa, this world's stronger, and so I'm just going to build my little ark and hide. And Abraham's like, no, Torah's stronger. Just a little Torah. Ox? Kill three of them. Water? Just a little water. A little Torah is all you need, because Torah's much stronger than ox. Torah's much stronger than the physical world. Now, that's a very strange thing for him to say, for Kalibach to say, because, oops, because, I mean, think about it. What's stronger? What's stronger? What, what is stronger? I mean, right now, you guys are all, you all decided to come into the ark today. Those people who spend their day in, in, in learning and base midrash, you're going into the ark because the world out there is pretty scary. People have, like, kosher cell phones. What do you think, your Torah can't hold up to... Your, your Torah is not stronger than a smartphone? 
you know, you, you, your, your Torah is not stronger. So it's very strange that Karlebach says this. But maybe, so it sounds like he's basically wrong, which he may be, but meaning maybe this world, the hands of Asaph are stronger, and the voice of Jacob is, is weaker. Maybe the voice of Jacob is much less strong. I mean, what is a voice? Voice is spirituality. I and mean, how do you speak? How am I speaking right now? You think I know how to do this? I have no idea how to do this. I'm sending out thousands of sound waves throughout this room. Highly, high-level mathematical equations are coming out of my mouth. And how you're even understanding it is just beyond. But I can't do this. It's only because I have a soul I can do this. That's the voice of Jacob. And the, meaning only because of soul do we have voice. Whereas the hands of Asaph, that's just industry. That's in industriousness. That's the physical world. That's Rome. That's America, the United States of Asaph. Yeah? It's, that's physicality. And so, and so the, how is Torah, the voice of Jacob, spirituality, anywhere near stronger than the physicality? So the answer is that all physicality comes from where? Where does the physical world come from? Where does the freedom tower come from? The answer is it comes from spirituality because God sent his light into the world. It was filtered and filtered and filtered and filtered and filtered till there, it wove its way into physical. So really, the physical is spiritual. So really, spiritual is strong. It's got to be stronger than the physical because the physical only comes from the spiritual. It's more our own way of interacting with physical and spiritual where we fall. But really, physical is spiritual. And thank God we got a nice, tidy list of 365 negative commandments of how to stay out of trouble in the physical. I mean, if you really keep the 365 with precision and accuracy, you avoid all 365 negative commandments. So now you're good to go in the physical world. So then you're you're all set to to do do a good job in the physical. Yeah. Re, being an Avraham, it's clear our Torah is telling us be an Avraham. You must be an Avraham. Yeah, you've got to be an Avraham. You can't be in the ark alone. You've got to be an Avraham. You got to go out. You got to get out of the ark. Same Manteva. Our Torah is not offering the Noah option. Noah, you know, it's called Me Noah, right? We say Al Me Noah in the Zmiros. Uh, what song is that? Yonah Matzah. Why is it called Me Noah? The waters of Noah, like this is Noah's fault? And yeah, Noah's, this is Noah's fault. Had, had Noah been Avram, there wouldn't have been a flood. Avram. Had Avram been in that generation, he would have turned them around. And you see it also in Sodom and Gomorrah the next time that there was a, uh, you know, a major upheaval. So God's not going to destroy the world, but it doesn't mean he's not going to destroy the five towns. So there, the, I wasn't talking about those five towns. I'm talking about the five towns of, uh, of uh, Stone. Stone was made of five towns. So they, they had pushed beyond the threshold of God's mercy because the whole point of creation is relationship and there was no one having the relationship. Now a lot of us here a lot of us here 
Avraham's this week's parsha. Avraham is is basically bargaining with God for how many tzaddikim there might be in the town. You know, he does this whole bargaining, and he finally gets down to ten. If there are ten tzaddikim, so when we read that, you know what you're probably thinking? You're probably thinking. I always thought that what he meant by if there's ten tzaddikim, meaning those ten tzaddikim will hold it up. And the answer is no. They already hit beyond it. God's destroying the place, even with the ten tzaddikim. So what are the ten tzaddikim about? It's that if there's ten tzaddikim, Avram Avinu could go convince them to get out of the base midrash and go make a difference. Like you know enough Torah already to go do something for the world. Like get out there. You got 85% of the Jewish people don't even know it's Shabbat while you're sitting there with chillant dripping off your chin. Your breath smells like herring. And, and meanwhile, your brothers and sisters are in the flood. And you do nothing. You expect Rabbi Yomto to do something. Or the local Chabadnik. With his blowtorch. Are you guys learning a different Torah than I am? Like, are you learning a different Torah than I am? Is it not clear that the Torah is juxtaposing Noah's generation with Avram's generation? And that you got to... I'm not saying not to sit and learn. I sit and learn. I'm learning and I'm learning and I'm learning. I've been learning for years and years and years. I'm still sitting. But I get out too. I'm out right now. Yeah, I was learning till whatever hour. I don't know, till 1.40 or something. And, and then I got... And now I'm out. And I'm making a difference. Now I'm going to go back in. I'm not saying to leave altogether. I'm just saying make a difference. One of the great rabbis, Rav Yitzhak Berkowitz, who's like probably the biggest guttle in English in Eretz Israel today, maybe one of the biggest guttle in the world in English, he, um, he said that he noticed that people who learn Torah for a time, it looks like this, but then eventually it looks like this, and then eventually it looks like that. And he says that anyone who learns Torah full-time, he's talking about marrieds, marrieds, meaning they got married and now they're learning and stuff. He says there's like this amazing growth that happens when you get married and you learn for a few years. Yeah, depending on the person, one person might be four years, ten years, three years, one year. And um, we discussed that yesterday. But he says eventually it starts to rot. It starts to rot. Your Torah starts to rot. And I've met people with their Torah rotted. I was told you guys yesterday, I counseled a, a woman in her late 70s whose husband's Torah rotted. And it's just a real crash and burn situation, what's happened there. And, and it's, it's a strange thing to say, obviously, that's strong words. But I look at the Parsha. You get up from your meditation and you go take care of people. Throw a little water at them. Just throw a little water, what a difference it makes. Anyone here not raised observant? Anyone here was not raised observant? Okay? So keep your hands up if someone threw a little water at you and that made all the difference. Okay? A little water, right? What, what was... Uh, Peter. Peter, what was the little water that was thrown at you? What's that? I went on a trip to Israel. That's a lot of water, bro. <laughs> Trips to Israel is a lot of water. Yeah. Uh, any, anyone, anyone else had a little water thrown on them? 
There we go. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm not going to film you. So that was the little water. Uh huh. Amazing. Yeah. What was your little water? <laughs> That's just a little water. And who, and who asked you to come? He just invited you, and you came. Uh, how'd it go? Is this the cute boy? No. He looks like a cute boy to me. So, anyway, you someone threw some water on you? But it made a big difference. What had happened is there were no more Jews around, and he was just like, what am I going to do with Hanukkah candles? I'm going to keep them the whole year. And there you were. So, yeah, it's shocking how little water. Uh, Rabbi Shalom in the back, Rabbi Weber, I mean, how many little waters did you throw on people and it transformed their entire lives? You have no idea. But it's 14 years of little water. I get I get WhatsApps all the time. People are saying like, "Yeah, you just said this to me," and and it just lit something inside of me, and it started me on this crazy journey. And, and I barely said anything to the guy. You know, I think it was more my payas on the airplane. You know, <laughs> he just never sat anyone next to anyone who looked like me. And I didn't say much because I fall asleep very quickly on airplanes. I'm like a baby in the backseat of a car. So like, I just got in whatever I could before I could. Before I passed out for 12 hours. Now, um, anyway, so so it's about, it's really, really about sharing it that makes it alive. I have this strange thing that my brothers and I, when we all, you know, got strong in our Judaism, we immediately went into outreach. My oldest brother's still in outreach. My middle brother was a, fifth, was a businessman with an MBA and, you know, 15 years campus rabbi. Like, he gave up business and was a campus rabbi. I mean, there's nothing more degrading than being a campus rabbi. <laughs> Hi, would you like to come to my my pizza and beer dinner where I might share some Torah? <laughs> Just to let you know that. Want to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at a table in, like, the main thing at the campus, you know, like, it's called tabling. I mean, that, that just breaks you to smithereens, tabling. You know, you got to be made of something to go table. I tried to go to UCLA at one point. Were you there at that time? I tried to go to UCLA. Like, LA hired me for a period of time. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. My fear of rejection was so hard, high, that even hired and being paid to be the campus rabbi at UCLA, I couldn't do it. My wife did it. Meaning she was like, okay, to hell with him. I'll do it. And she did it. Like, my Rebbitson was standing out there on the quad with, like, I mean, like, God knows what's walking by there and campus in L.A. And she she got the people to the pizza dinner. You know, and then, like, and then hosted the pizza dinner, and she's like, okay, Rabbi, say something. And I'm like, okay, hello, everybody. And I was like a young whippersnapper at that point. Oh, it opened again? Okay. Yeah, what's up, man? Just going back. So, what is the ideal, um, the ideal rise of, of Torah learning, of integrating that into someone's life? What's the idea? That's up to one's Rebbe. Speak to your Rebbe. Every person has a Rebbe, and and right. 
Every person has a Rebbe. Someone's holding your hand. Okay? Every person has a Rebbe, and they ask their Rebbe, is it time yet for me to go make a difference? And and if you listen to your Rebbe. Okay? Um, Avmavino getting out there, making that difference. Oh! Is, um, I think I, I think I've made this pretty clear, this particular point. Oh! I forgot. No, I keep thinking about it. The ten tzaddikim. We all think that in the merit of the ten tzaddikim, God won't destroy them. No, Avram Avinu is going to go down there and teach them. Kiruv, he's going to teach them to reach out. And then they're going to go turn over Sdoyim. Because you see, God's willing to turn it over without this conversation. He was just, he, the angels were just coming to let Abraham know that we're turning over, Sdoyim's going to get flipped and destroyed. And Avram Vino started thinking, well, wait a second. You know, I could have, I would have saved the world had I been in the generation of Noah. So here I am. And if there's 10 Sadiqim down there, although why didn't, if that's, if I'm right, by the way, I'm probably wrong. I'm just making this up as I go along. I'm probably wrong because Avram himself would have gone. Why is he asking about the Sadiqim? He himself would have gone down there and flipped, o- flipped over the five towns. So I think I've just asked Akasha on my own class. And, what's that? Too much evil for Abraham? I don't think there's an amount of evil that's too much for Abraham. Avram Avino, where he came from, Terach's house. He's pretty tough. Yeah. Why didn't he go save Saddam himself? That's an excellent question. Anyone ever heard that question? Why didn't Avram go down and do it? Meaning, meaning, we've all heard the question that had he lived in Noah's generation, he would have saved the world when the whole world had gone wrong. This is just the five towns. It's only the five towns who are having an issue. And Avram is alive. And he's not even alive. He's overlooking the five towns. He's like, he's like oh yeah, well, that's terrible. Maybe there's some Sadiqim down there. <laughs> So now we've asked a whole kasha on the question of Avram Avinu being in Noah's generation. Wow, I don't think I've been this humbled before in a class to like have my entire class be thrown in the can, you know. But it, but that's not my idea that Avram would have saved Noah's generation. That's not my. That is not right. That's not my idea, right? People, you've heard that. You have to. You can't come from far. Oh. <laughs> No, but they say ain't Novi be a row. There's no Novi in his hometown. You know, nobody calls me rabbi when I'm in LA. They're like, oh, Johnny's back. And I'm like, do I look like someone named Johnny? <laughs> oh, Johnny. Johnny's here. You know, I, I, when I go to LA, I'm not exactly teaching classes. You know, people are just like, gee, he's got a strange haircut. <laughs> but I show up in another town, it's like Rabbi Glazer. I don't think being from the town is a great idea. Yeah. But it was a nice way to save Abraham on that. Um, what? If Abraham had left his town to go be with him. Yeah, that's what we're saying. That would have been good. But you see he's asking about Sadiqim in the town. He's not saying, I'm going down there. He has no intention to go down there. 
And we're taught in general by our sages, like, don't go to a place where there's no Torah. Don't go to a place where there's no Torah. Isn't that the answer right there? That Avram didn't know, there could have easily been the possibility that there wasn't any Torah down there? So he's asking Hashem to see. Maybe there's some Torah down there, and then I'll go down. Right. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs> yeah, he was just asking Hashem, what's, what's the weather? You know? What's going on down there? You know? Is this going to be good good uh, experience for? You know, are there going to be tzaddikim waiting for me there? And interesting, he wanted a minion of like he got down to a minion, right? He didn't go below ten, did he? Ten was yeah, he just needs a minion. But why didn't he go to nine and add himself? Another question. Why didn't he go to nine and go down there? Must not be right. Your answer. <laughs> Sorry, we're all learning Gemara on your own cheshbon. I mean, on your guys' uh, account. Sometimes we just start asking a ton of questions and trying to get things. There, this is probably the power of a connection to a Rebbe. That, like, you know, no Aish rabbi is going to go do that. You know, like, no way. You know, when, when us as Aish rabbis, when, when someone wants to send us somewhere, we got, like, a lot of questions to ask before we're going there. Yeah, whereas the Chabad rabbis have only, they have no questions. All they're asking is, is there a Jew there? Yeah, are there some Jews that I can help in that place? So I think there, that's just an, if anything, it's a, it's a, it's in, it's an ode to, having a connection to a Rebbe. Like, if you're that connected, you're going to be fine. That's my thoughts. Like, you could live in Baltimore. In this chassid lives in Baltimore. Yeah, there's no... no Baltimore's a makom Torah. But, like, it's not a chassidish makom Now it is. You guys are going to take care of that. Okay. Especially after this class. What's that? No, no, they were doing it before he passed away, after. They, they're not even sure he passed away. He's eternal. You know, their connection to the Rebbe is, like, irrelevant of his being embodied. Okay, guys, I've never taught a class that, that devolved like this before. Like, this class is totally unraveled, which is... I'm kind of having fun with it, personally, because we've had so many amazing classes this week that uh, I... I I think this is all my ego in the way, really, is I thought, like, wouldn't that be nice? I was sitting and learning this morning, and some guy came in with a little piece of Torah from Karlebach, sorry, with a book on Karlebach's yard site of the Parshas. So I'm thinking, hmm, when I die, there will be no Parsha book. So I said, well, why don't I dedicate Thursdays to the Parsha? Bad idea. <laughs> Bad idea. My job for the last... However many years, like a couple decades, is I walk in here with nothing to say. And today I didn't, and look what happened. So, um, given that it's 4.07, we're just going to call this a failure. But I will bless you all with an amazing Shabbos. We have third meal, as usual, every week. We have third meal. So, you're welcome to third meal at our place. And uh, any other announcements? I told you about going to Harmanuchos today, to the 
the Shlomo's yurt site. There's going to be like the ultimate, ultimate mincha with like a two-hour chazars of shots. You know, that's going to be like beyond belief. And God bless. I think it's Rav Simcha Hachbaun is, uh, is the one who actually is leading it. God bless him for standing there for two hours in one spot. I mean, that's just unbelievable and waiting for everyone to finish each song and everything. I mean, it's like, just can't imagine standing there for two hours, but leave it to a guy who lives literally outside the cave of the patriarchs in Hebron to have the wherewithal to stand for two hours straight. So that's Mincha and Harmanuchos today. That's going to be amazing. Um, what else can I announce? Uh, oh yeah, is the last thing is we feed this family in town who's had some hard times. Uh, the, the husband's out of work, and uh, they, they eat whatever we give. So, so if it, whatever jingles, we'll basically buy Pringles, but whatever folds, we'll buy meat. And I need some that rhymes with folds. Whatever folds, we'll buy meat, chicken, and what rhymes with folds? Folgers. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.